0: All right, grab your jackets, grab your hiking boots. We're headed outside, we're going on a hike, all right? Forget, forget sitting here, we're headed for the doors, all right? But, but, before we go on this hike, I wanna avoid something. I've been on enough hikes with little people where you get the, I'm tired, my body doesn't work, ah! All right, so we're gonna avoid that today, all right? None of that, all right? We're we're gonna know the terrain before we go on this hike, okay? So we're going on a hike. But nobody's going to carry you, okay? Like we're gonna, we got this, all right? We just got to prepare. Like, do you need a jacket? You know, it's, it's winter in Missouri. You probably do. Like, do we need hiking boots? Where are we going? We're going to just kind of survey the terrain before we take off, okay? What hike are we going on? What, what Metaphorical hike? Don't worry. You can stay comfortable. But what metaphorical hike are we going on? We're talking about Christian formation this morning. Christian formation. How do we grow? How do we go from where we are as followers of Jesus to where the Bible describes? The Bible makes some pretty wild claims about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says to a lady, he says, if you drink of this water, meaning if you take this hike with me, you'll never thirst again. That would be fantastic. Has that been your experience? How do we get from where we are To where the Bible describes in our journey following Jesus. We call that journey spiritual formation. We describe it many different ways around here, right? We talk about we exist for people to discover Jesus, find their place in his story. That whole discovering Jesus, finding their place, is spiritual formation. Some people call it discipleship, call it what you will, but how do we grow as Christians? We're taking a hike. We're gonna learn how to do that. I gotta name three terrains though. There are three bumps in the road that if you're not prepared for these things, they're going to trip you up. Anybody in here who's been hiking with someone who does not have a high school diploma knows you've got to name the terrains. You can name the terrain. You can bring goldfish. They're still going to trip you up. All right? Bumpy terrain number one. What's a challenge to our Christian formation? What's a challenge to our growth in Jesus? Bumpy terrain number one. A changing social contract. Bumpy terrain number one is the changing social contract. My grandparents grew up in a world that had a social contract. You graduate high school, you marry your high school sweetheart, you get a 30-year mortgage. You then get a job at General Motors. Around the time when your 30-year mortgage is about to be paid off, the note, as they call it, about that time that note's ready to get paid off, you have a talk with GE, or General Motors, I mean, and they, they pay you this thing called a pension, So there was a social contract you had. You get married, you work, they take care of you after you're done working. Some of you in this room are laughing because you're like, that's right, I have a pension. And others of you are like, what? Companies did that? Holy cow, like what in the world? This is crazy. What does it have to do with me following Jesus? Everything. It's just something shifted. In this old social contract, there was a sense of rootedness, right? You stayed in the same town, you worked at the same job, and you just, you just were there. Rootedness. Now, for millennials, Gen Z is a totally different market, right? And remote work and life post-pandemic has complicated that even more. Why would you get to know people and why would you build a sense of rootedness if you could be in Seattle in six months? Right? The job market and globalization, everybody's competing for jobs and you've got to be the best. And you, you can't just be a nurse anymore, you've got to be a nurse practitioner. You can't just, you can't just be a nurse with an undergrad, you've got to have a master's degree. You, and like, there's all this competition and it's, it's like, whoa, just to, just to get by and then you all this stuff. And so there's not a sense of rootedness. Younger people, uh, millennials going down, have like a very short expectancy that they're going to be at their jobs. Depends on what surveys you read, but it can be anywhere from three to five years is average. It's like a long time. Man, I've been here a long time, five years. Time to hit the old dusty trail. You might be thinking, look, I graduated from Hickman, got, a, got my MBA at Mizzou. I work at shelter insurance. I'm rooted. Yeah, but the people in your life aren't. It's very difficult to build roots, to build connection. This whole idea of formation when relationships feel unstable. There's a fantastic book called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone, like like you have a bowling ball and you're doing it by yourself. Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam that describes how we become far more isolated. Far more isolated. Some of you remember a world where people were in bowling leagues. (laughs) That's challenge number one to discipleship the changing social contract, different expectations. How are we going to get to know each other? How are we going to be rooted? Why would I give myself to a local church? People aren't going to be here tomorrow. Challenge number one on our hike. Challenge number two on our hike, pop postmodernism. Challenge number two on our hike is pop post-modernism. What is pop postmodernism? Pop post post-modernism. post-modernism is very skeptical of meta-narratives, of big stories, right? The the Bible is the story that explains all stories. It's the big story, right? In postmodernism, what is that? That's a power move, right? That is a power move. Anybody who claims that they know truth, anybody who claims that they know uh, some big story, they're just trying to seize power from us. And you may be in here thinking, you may be a boomer, and you may be thinking, oh, that's just young people. Mm-mm. All right? You may have heard this phrase. Christianity, it's not a religion. It's a gave us that that's pop postmodernism we're very skeptical of we're very skeptical of authority figures we're very skeptical of organizational religion ah it's a challenge to discipleship when someone says like hey here's a path we can take toward growth how do you know very skeptical let's complicate this a little more some of the skepticism much of the skepticism is deserved the, 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 the word evangelical in pop culture has become synonymous with scandalous. I'll never forget. This is a true story. This really happened in real time and space to me in this space. We used to host this event where lots of people from the community would come in. We were hosting it. I was talking to this young secular guy. He was super cool. We were just having a conversation for a long time. And he goes, man, I just got to say, I love this church. You guys are so cool. I'm like, well, thank you. That's awesome. Well, what do you like about it? I think it's really brave that you guys are the evangelical free church. You don't let evangelicals in here. I think that's just great. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what that means. Yeah. And I call it pop postmodernism because it's not post It's not like the 22-year-olds in your life are reading Foucault and Derrida. But it's just in the zeitgeist. So the culture of just like people are after us to make power claims. They want to control our lives. That is bad. And so there's skepticism when it comes to church. On our hike, we got to be aware that's, that's going to be a rock in our shoe. That's going to be bumps in the road. We're inviting people in the Christian formation. And there is skepticism. Bump number three. Bump number three is the most likely to get me grumpy emails. So, I'm going to say it and then we're going to just gently unpack it. What's the third bump in the road when it comes to the Christian formation? Hyperactive parenting. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There used to be a time... There used to be a time, it was called the 1970s, when parental responsibilities included feed your child and make sure they don't get hit by a bus. We call those the 1970s. Gone are those days. Gone are those days, and they have been replaced by hyperactive parenting, where people have a kid, and as soon as that kid enters the world a clock starts ticking and what's happening with that ticking clock is the more time we waste the less likely this child will become a us senator or wildly successful in their field so all of these parents at energy and activity is creating the biggest opportunity for flourishing in this person's life. There are parenting blogs out there where parents are anxious that their kids will not get into Harvard because they didn't do their homework in preschool. Think about that for a second. Why is your preschool giving homework? We got to prepare these kids. We got to get these test scores up. We got to go, go, go. Hang on a second though. If you're under 30, you're like, did my parents put you up to this? People over 30, you are not off the hook. You have created a whole new label of a human being. It's a label called emerging adulthood. It used to be. It used to be. Remember my grandparents' generation. You graduate high school, marry your high school sweetheart, you have a 30-year mortgage. Now, because of hyperactive parenting of a former generation, there is this whole phase of life called emerging adulthood. Where the path from being a little girl to a full-grown woman is not a straight line, right? We have ages about 19 to 29 where you are not really an adult. You are an emerging adult. The problem is, though, you have the income of a real adult. So you have all this freedom and no responsibilities, and mom and dad help foot the bill. Everybody doing okay? These are challenges to adulthood. We invite people to come to a equip to serve night and you can't because your kid has soccer practice in one city and then your other kid has ballet in another city. Why are these kids doing soccer practice in one city and another city? Because they're eight years old but they've got to get in these extreme leagues because they're more likely to get into the league. I just want to say up front, your kid's probably not going to be in the NBA. <laughs> but all of this, all of this create challenges to discipleship. Whether it's that changing social contract where we're not relationally rooted anymore. Whether it's this fear of authority and this skepticism toward organized religion. What's, what are you trying to, how are you trying to control me? Or whether it's this sense of just like, the normal responsibilities of life now take all our energy all attention and there's no time for other relationships all of these are bumps on our hike called spiritual formation how are we as disciples going to grow i'm going to we're going to start at the end today this is where we're landing the plane The posture I think we're being invited into by the Spirit of God. Here's the posture. We're going to just give you the posture and then we're going to unpack it the rest of the morning. I truly think God's Spirit is inviting us to stay relationally engaged even though relationships are painful. It's too easy to quit. I think the Spirit of God is inviting us To stay relationally engaged, even when it's painful, it's too easy to quit. The passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is the Apostle Paul inviting people to stay relationally engaged. Look, church is hard, church is painful. (laughs) Amen. You can share your story vulnerably at a connection group, and then somebody you don't know knows that story. How did they know? Oh, no. Somebody gossiped. You can serve and serve and serve and show up, and the volunteer leading that service group doesn't really know your name. You can give your heart away to a church. You can love a community and just get opened up for pain and hurt. It's hard. And do we really think we can grow without adversity? What if the obstacle is the way? Now, I don't like that message. I would love to just say like, hey, come on in. The water's great. I mean, it is just smooth sailing. It's great. But I don't make the rules. Anytime you get more than two people involved in something, there's going to be pain. And if, if what creates these pains is relationship, so, right, this is a relational problem, right? Changing social contracts, right? How do we get to know people if they're going to be here today, gone tomorrow? That's relational. How do we get to know people if we can't trust them? Relational. How do we get to know people if I just don't have the bandwidth and the energy to have more people in my life? Relational. If the challenge is relational, I also believe the answer to those challenges is relational. Here's where we're going this morning. I believe Paul's vision for a church, his map for Christian formation, is we are loved into loving. How do we grow? How do we change? How do we go on this journey of spiritual formation? We're loved into loving. And a lot of us give up before roots can really dig in the invitation this morning is to stay engaged, to keep relationally engaged, to not run. How do we do that? There's a chapter in the Bible where Paul is talking to a church that was a fast-growing church. And then that fast-growing church soon encountered chaos. Big personalities came in, you know, they started going around the cult of personality. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Oh yeah, well I believe this. You know, I'm really gifted. I have these gifts. I have those gifts. And it created all kinds of relational chaos. There was sin, and that created hurt in this community. There was confusion, that created hurt in this community. And then Paul writes a chapter where he says this I need to show you what he calls this a more excellent way. And he goes on to say this We're loved into loving. It's 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. It may surprise you to learn that 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage. If you had this read at your wedding, don't feel bad. It can apply, but there is a whole book of the Bible that's written about romantic love and sexual relationships that you could have had read. But don't worry about it. You had this read, and that's fine. It can still apply. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul lays out a vision where we can be a community who stays relationally engaged when it's hard. And we can love others into loving. Because we've been loved into loving. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start actually in 12.31. Here we go. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy Can fathom all mystery and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. This is amazing. This is what part of what it means to be a Christian for Paul is this little phrase right here. Even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, we again want to hear from your spirit. God, my words can just set the table. But God, I pray that my words would set a table and your spirit would work with us to stir up our imagination. How can we be people who stay relationally engaged in the face of pain? in the face of disappointment. God, our prayer again today is we want to hear your voice. We trust that you come where you're welcome and you are welcome here. Amen. All right. We have this thing around here that we call our discipleship pathway, right? That's kind of a map. What are we doing? How do we do spiritual formation? We say there's Four components to that. We gather. This is part of spiritual formation. We're not in here just trying to learn information. We're in, really in here trying to be formed in Christ. We connect. We need to have relationships. We serve. Troy just talked about that. And we bless. Talked about that two weeks ago. What does it mean to connect? Right? If it's so important, if we're saying, like this is like a pillar we're hanging everything on. We really think we're loved into loving. We really think connection. You, we, this is how we be fully formed Christians. What does it mean to Connect. Well, here's what I think it means to connect. Connecting is when disciples of Jesus commit to relationships of kindness and good intent. Connecting is when disciples of Jesus, people who are following Jesus, they're being formed by Jesus, make a commitment to relationships of kindness and good intent. We're going to unpack this a little bit today. There is a commitment in connection, right? It can be very risky, it is risky to connect with people and not know, are they connecting back? Like, am I going first? The posture of connecting says, oh, I'm, I'm following Jesus and I'm committing to relationships of kindness and good intent. I have to say, just really clearly, kindness is not the same thing as niceness, okay? I, I assume that, because I'm from a not nice place. You, this is a very nice, the Midwest is the nicest place on earth. Last night, a friend and I were getting dinner. We ended up meeting this, like, inebriated stranger and asked him for directions. He left his friend, walked with us, like, two blocks t- into the restaurant, told us stories about, like, being a townie in Columbia and all stuff. And the whole time, I'm like, this is the end. We're going to die. Like, this was, a, this was a, I got a call. I, I'm, like, texting, like, Troy, you got to find somebody else to preach tomorrow. Like, this is the end. <laughs> the guy I was with, I was like, dude, were you nervous about this? He's like, no, why? I'm like, you don't think it's weird that, he, you know, is he going to kill us? He's like... We asked for help. He helped us. I was like, this is the nicest place on earth. That's not kindness. I mean, it is, I mean, it can be kind. Kindness and niceness are not the same. Niceness is not an invitation to be a doormat. There are dangerous people in the world, and it is not kindness to say, hey, run me over. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'll take whatever you got. I'll sign up for all your, your unhealthiness and you can just keep dumping that on me and I better is one day in your house, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I, you know? All things for good. That is not kindness. Kindness in the Bible is a commitment to others flourishing. Sometimes the kindest thing we can do is say, Can I ask you a question? It, it, does this line up with who you are? As we're disciples of Jesus, I hear you using this language. Can you help me understand? Why, as a disciple of Jesus, you're speaking to others that way? That's kindness. Kindness is also, hey, I'm going to sacrifice sleep and comfort to serve you. That's connection and good intent. I believe Paul, in this chapter, is really just unpacking the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked about, what, hey, you know, love your enemies. I think Paul's talking about what that looks like. Bless those who persecute you. Paul's just unpacking this in this chapter. Good intent, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, judge not. We can't know other people's motives. And so good intent just says, hey, I see something, but I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm also not going to pretend it's okay, but I'm not going to be like, you're doing that because you're this, you're that. No, 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 I'm going to have good intent. Hey, you're a follower of Jesus. This, you're acting in a way that's outside of that. And I know that that's not who you ultimately are good intent. Kindness and good intent. We call that connection. And, and we grow as we, as a body of Christ, commit to doing that together. We're going to enter into relationships of kindness and good intent. Look with me back at this chapter. I mean, this chapter doesn't make a ton of sense if Paul's talking to people where this is easy. Love, right out of the gate in verse 4, what did he say? Love is patient. You do not have to be with patient with people. With whom it is easy to love on them. Man, this just comes so naturally. That's not patience. That's just, that's just a good time. Is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. Why can you get easily angered? Because people are crazy frustrating. Love shows up in the face of difficulty. Again, we don't make the rules. Relationships start the chaos and relationships heal the chaos. I've said this many times, but when we, when we run into trouble as a church family, it's very easy for us to just throw the plan out the window, right? Or as Mike Tyson likes to say, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face, right? It really is like we're, we're driving, we're trying to get somewhere, and we get lost, and we're like, ah, throw the map out the window, that'll help. What Paul is trying to do is to say, hey, we're going to do relationship together and there are going to be challenges. Will we stay relationally engaged? One of the ways we throw, like here's our map, we're loved into loving. That's what Paul's saying, a more excellent way. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Paul's saying we're a community of love. But there's three ways that we can just throw the map out the window and say, no, 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 here's actually how we grow. When it gets really hard, this is how we grow. One of those ways is through willpower willpower exerting effort in our spiritual lives in order to find sense meaning a sense of meaning and connection this was the first part of my serious spiritual journey I grew up in a Christian home Uh, I was was following Jesus, but I didn't really get serious to my faith until I went away and I met this guy who had just gotten out of rehab. He was in, he rapped. He was an amazing rapper. We were going to be professional. I was going to play bass. I wasn't going to rap. But we were going to be a professional rap group and we were going to make it big. I became friends with him because one day in upstate New York, I remember we were working at a Christian camp and he was older, right? I'm 19 years old. He's 24. Which if you're 19 years old, that's 55. He's like, wow, he's so old. He's so wise. He's had so much life experience. This is great. So I meet this 24-year-old guy. It's the middle of the afternoon, and he's reading Romans. And I, I just wanted to be helpful. I was like, hey, man, like, you, you don't have to be reading your Bible right now. We already did that earlier today. Like, the required Bible reading part of the day is over. He's like, no, 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 man. I'm reading because I want to. I was like, wow. I've never met anyone like that. That's a, You want to? Why? He's like, oh, this is how I connect with God. So we lived together, and through that two, year and a half, two years, we lived together. I just saw amazing things happen. Right? Like he would go to bookstores, and people would like follow us home. They'd stay in our house like two in the morning. and They'd be praying. Like, just be, we went into this psychic's like uh, shop. I don't know what you call a psychic shop. One time, and he's like, does anybody have a Bible? And they freaked out. They're like, get the heck out of here! They freaked out. I was like, whoa! I just saw amazing things. So what did I think I need to do? I just got to copy everything he's doing, right? He's waking up early to pray. I'm going to wake up early to pray. He's witnessing the strangers on the road. I'm going to witness the strangers on the road. I'm going to just do what he's doing, and I'll meet and know God. I exerted lots of effort in my spiritual life, and you know what I got? Tired and frustrated. Tired and frustrated. That wasn't the secret sauce, the practices. Now, is there effort in our Christian life? Absolutely. But look at what Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We're loved into loving. The effort train, oh, it doesn't lead there. Is there effort in our Christian life? Yes. But so many of us know this. So many of us have been, we just serve and serve and serve. We're like, man, you know, I just want to know God, so I'm going to keep serving at church. I'm going to keep, even when they don't ask me to, I'm going to keep, and then what happens years from now, you explode. He's just like, do you realize all that I've done and nobody cares? It's Because we, 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 drew, we fall into this error. We throw the map of love being the way we change and we fall into this error of willpower, exerting effort in our spiritual lives in order to find a sense of meaning and connection. Man, I fall into this. Uh, another, another danger that I think is our tribe is particularly prone to is the intellectual danger. We think that we grow on our journey of spiritual formation through being intellectual. If I know enough about God, I'll find meaning and my pain will go away. This, this, this slide has my number. I grew up in a church where people loved the Bible. And I was like, if I want to be spiritual, I got to know more than everybody else. And what happened? I did. Like I really, I mean, I crushed it, right? Like, I mean, I was just, I went to seminary. I just like, I buckled up, and I studied as much as I could. I remember there was one time, I was in the, sem- the third floor of the seminary library. Do you know how many people study in the third floor of the seminary library? Nobody. I'm in there studying. A professor came and sat down, and I studied longer than him. I was like, boom. What up, bro? Couldn't handle it. What happened? Wildly frustrated in my walk with God. God was distant. God was far. And there's these people who are doing no effort and meeting him. What in the world? I think our tribe is particularly prone to this. Look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians 13.2. Here's what Paul says. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. He's like, if I know everything, if I've got all the spiritual insight, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. Now, do not misunderstand me. Do we need to learn about God? yes. Yes, learning about God is important in our spiritual journey, but we can't move that to the center. It, it's sort of like uh, someone, gave, uh, someone gave this analogy once about, hey, let's get our house so very clean and then we'll have company over. Let me just know so much about God, then I'll have this spiritually rich relationship. You're never gonna know enough. I can tell you, I can tell you everything about like discrepancies in the Septuagint Jeremiah versus the Masoretic text that the Hebrews had. I can tell you all about that. I mean, it could create a crisis of faith, and then I can walk you out of that crisis of faith, right? And if I do not have love, nothing. It's really frustrating. And, and that's what Paul's ripping on. The, the last one, which I, is... We're all very prone to as well. The last dangerous thing we can fall into is this mountaintop experience. This is what Paul's trying to warn us away from. We're seeking spiritual highs to numb emotional pain. We're seeking spiritual highs to numb emotional pain. If I can just feel God's presence today on this walk, everything will get better. If I can just have an experience where God speaks to me clearly, if I hear, people talk about hearing God's voice, like Dallas Willard talked about like God just showing up and talking to him like an old friend. Oh, if I just have that experience, my life will be fine. You know, I, I can tell I've had lots of wild spiritual experiences. Wild stuff has happened to me. And it's awesome. And I have been guilty of chasing those highs. But that's not, that's not what's going to form and transform us in the long run. It's an, it's an essential part of our walk, that euphoria we feel with God. And I I am concerned too many of us minimize that, right? We're like, oh, experience. Experience doesn't matter, right? No, no, experience matters. And we need to have deep, meaningful, positive experiences with God. But that's not the main thing. That's not how we grow as disciples. That's not how we're going to connect. We are loved into loving. Listen again to some of these words, how Paul describes love. What's he saying is the more excellent way? Love is patient, kind literally says this, it does not have negative feelings over another's achievements, does not heap praise on oneself, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking or easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, but rejoices in the truth, protects, trusts, perseveres, and never fails. The journey toward healing relationships is healing relationships. We're healed by relationships when we take the first step. Relationships are painful. They are disappointing. And please, do not hear me say, so run toward dangerous people. I just need to be very clear about that. There are people in your life who are dangerous, who you have tried to extend peace And they have been dangerous. I am not saying run toward those people. But I am saying it is too easy for church community to just go, I don't like the worship here. I don't like the this. I don't like the that. I'm going to go to this church where the that is better. It's too easy to quit, it's too easy to not be patient. We want this instant gratification. Look, it's not just me saying that too. There's a local legend who said it way better than I can. I love this guy. Who does everybody know who this is? Everybody, Drinkwitz. E- Elijah Drinkwitz. He's like a real life Ted Lasso. He's fantastic. Uh, I don't really understand a lot about this because I think college football is not fun to watch, um, but. Apparently, apparently there is a transfer portal. Do you guys know about this? So there's a transfer portal where like students can just like leave the school they're at, you know, and then they can go somewhere else. And somebody asked Drink, Coach Drink about this. I love his response. So I'm just gonna let him hear it. uh, You hear it from him rather than me just reading it to you. And to the folks at home and the folks watching this later, uh, we don't wanna pay $200,000 to ESPN. So at first there's just gonna be like a long silence in the YouTube video. Uh, Well, hopefully we'll go back and edit it, but life happens. We might not. So if there is a long silence, just skip ahead a couple of minutes, okay? Because I don't want to go to jail. Uh, So here we go.
1: Be careful what you wish for. So I I don't know. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to try to be measured with, with some of the things I say just because I think this stuff always gets to be put back on you and all that stuff, but, um, you know, I, I think back to the question talked about growth um, and very rarely is growth just like this and, and very rarely in life whether it's uh, the story of bamboo, who bamboo grows very little for six years and then six weeks will sprout six feet. Um, whether you're talking about my father-in-law who's a farmer uh, and You don't plant seed and it grows the next day. You got to go through uh, a spring. You got to go through rain. You got to go through mud. You got to go through heat, Um, and then something great comes and bursts through the ground. For that, I think we're you know we're such a instant gratification era, including myself. I'm not putting this on on anybody. It's the entire world we live in that we're trying to skip the step of adversity and growth and you're never going to be able to skip that in life you're always going to have to face it whether that's in your marriage whether that's in your job whether that's raising kids and i know what's happened we want to as parents as older people we want to help the young the the next generation not have to face some of the hardships that we faced but man the greatest generation in the world is is the greatest generation because they faced the great depression they faced the world war ii you know, they, they figured it out. And um, I just worry about there's going to be players who leave our, our program, um, and I love them dearly. And, it, you know, it's maybe they're not excited about their role or they're frustrated because they, they don't feel like they're being utilized the right way. And sometimes you just got to keep growing, you know. And, and um, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. and. And sometimes you're just trading one set of problems for another. So,
0: Isn't that so wise? I love Coach Drink. Sometimes the grass isn't always greener. And sometimes we leave things too soon. Sometimes we might not even know which one of these three errors Paul's describing that we fall into. Do we fall into the trap of intellectualism? I'm just going to grow by knowing about God? Do we fall into the trap of willpower? I just got to serve hard. I just got to try hard. Do we fall into the trap of seeking spiritual highs? We don't know, because we've never been around long enough where that's gotten you know, come up to the surface. Church life really is like gardening. We've got to have a season where we till the soil and we just trust, I trust it's going to rain. I trust God's going to bring fruit, and I'm going to look for it when it's here. Oh, that's hard. It's really hard. And love is patient. We are loved into loving. I I talked about this tool last week. I want to just kind of recap it and, and set it up for where we're landing. This is called the angle scale so, Jim Engel was a professor at Wheaton College, and he talked about how people are persuaded. So, people are not persuaded to go from member of Al-Qaeda to, you know, leading a Boy Scout troop. Right? This, 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 they don't do that overnight, right? There is, there's gradual shifts we go through. So, uh, how someone, like, so, if someone's presented with a new idea, right? They're a negative eight on the angle scale if they're totally unaware of that idea, right? So for example, if you're like, oh, I didn't know that we were loved into loving. I didn't know that was a thing. You, you would be a negative eight, you're unaware. And so as a church, we really do, we wanna hold space for each other. Say, hey, look, we want, we know you're not gonna go from negative eight to positive eight, which right overnight. We know, you, they, hey, I have questions, about. It. I don't actually like that. Right? And that's why church is really positive. If we if it was like four of us meeting in my house, like if you don't like what I'm saying, it gets awkward fast. But you can be anonymous here. You can be like, "Yeah, I'm smiling and nodding, but I hate every word coming out of your mouth." And that's fine. Right? That's part of the design of this. It's great. So, we want to create space for people to like go from I didn't know that was a thing to, "Oh, I don't like that," to like, "Okay, I have questions," and to where they get curious and then they become convinced. Yes. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna connect. I wanna commit to these relationships. And then again, they go through that phase, they're a new convert where they, maybe excitement kind of pay, outpaces learning, and then it'll be learn and then we grow, and then sooner or later you're starting to tell this to other people. So we wanna create space where we, there's people here who are like, mm mm, I'm not ready for this. And if you're like, put me in coach, I'm ready to play. All right, We wanna have space for everybody and be gracious with ourselves and with each other. And again, Coming back to this, those three voices. You're hearing my voice. You're hearing your own voice. What's God's voice saying? Again, I'm going I'm to lay out some applications that what I'm trying to just do is just to, just to stir up your imagination so that God's spirit can be like, hey, that's really close. How about we do it like this? Right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some applications that for some of you, again, You're like, not ready. Not ready. right? Maybe you you were really, you jumped in with both feet in a church community. You love that place, with your whole heart, and it burned you. And you're like, I need time to heal. You have time to heal. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for years. And you're like, I just need an encouragement to get in the game. This is that encouragement. And there's space everywhere in between. All right, so... How can we apply this idea that we are loved into loving? There's two commitments I just want to invite us into. Two commitments. Commitment number one. what What if we committed to staying at Compass Church for a year regardless of what happens? Now, that is not an invitation for us to do whatever, but what if for one year We said, you know what? Certainly there's going to be things I don't like. Certainly I'm going to have experiences that are not fun. I might hear things I disagree with. But I'm committing to saying, I'm going to commit to relationships of kindness and good intent. I'm going to connect for one year. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to tough it out. I may hear things I don't like. I can use my voice. I can ask questions. That's a rule we have around here. You can always ask questions. Anyone can ask questions. We can always ask questions. But I'm going to commit. And when it gets tough, I'm going to stay relationally engaged. That's one invitation. For some of you, you're wrestling with God's voice. You're like, ah, that's right. Some of you are like, I'm not there yet. There's space. Invitation number two. For some of you who have been here longer, you've been sitting on the sidelines, the invitation is, which, are you willing to commit to a connection group for six months? Say, I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm going to share my story. It's going to be awkward. We talk about how connection is so important. I'm going to show up, and I'm not going to feel connected. I'm going to feel like these people are awkward. I'm going to feel like nobody gets me, and I'm going to stick it out for six months. I'm, I'm going I'm to just commit. I'm going to close the back door for six months. Those are invitations. Invitations. And again... What's God's voice in this? What's he saying to you this morning? What he's saying to you might be different from your neighbor, but the question is, today, if you hear his voice, what are you going to do? What's the invitation? This is stuff I have to live out. Rather, I have not arrived. Uh, yesterday, we took our kids to the Runge, Runge Center I don't know if you've ever been there. It's awesome. Like, Missouri is crushing conservation, by the way. It's just amazing. Uh, and so we go to the Runge Center, uh, and as we were walking into the Runge Center, I saw a truck. It was a really cool truck. I loved it. It was an old Nissan. It was super cool. Uh, and it had bumper stickers on it that I found, what did they say, rude? I, I was like, that's, that's a rude bumper sticker. And... Uh, so we get into the Runch Center, and they, they, they were going to have eagles at the Runch Center. It's amazing. Have you guys ever seen an eagle? It's like a dinosaur. They're humongous. And they go, rah! Like, during, when we actually got into, the, like, the display, like, they're like, don't move, because if you move, like, you'll freak the eagle out. Shepard was freaking out, so I had to carry him out. So when I picked him up, I just heard, rah! And I was like, oh, this is the end. This is it. So as I'm heading into the Runch Center, though, I, you know, I walk by the truck with a rude bumper sticker, and there's a line. I had to wait in line for 45 minutes to get into the Eagle display. Oh, we came all this way. We're waiting in line, baby. I get in line. Who's in front of me? The driver of the truck. I was like, Are you kidding me? For real, God? I'm a day off. <laughs> I get, Don't I get one day off a week? <laughs> all right. All right you got to remember, I'm from the East Coast. I'm proud of being from the East Coast. I believe God put a horn in your car for a reason. (laughs) This guy turns to me and says, save my spot, will you? No. (laughs) That's not how lines work, bro. I'm standing here to earn my spot. But what? I've been here long enough. What are you? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. He goes away. Comes back with a wheelchair. I'm like, ah, that dude is so smart. So smart. So he's sitting in front of me with a wheelchair, and I'm just—I just start like we start making fun of. I started making fun of him, and it was fun. We were like poking each other. I was like, "Man, you're really smart. Like, what? can I like plow people over with you?" And he's like, "Ha oh, ha oh, ha oh, ha oh. And uh, so we start talking, and uh, he's trying to like the lines moving, and he's just struggling to get the wheelchair moving. And I was like, "Hey, man, can I push you?" And I—I I was not relationally engaged, right? I'm just like putting up with him at this point. He's like, yeah, no, no, you don't need to. I'm like, I'm gonna. Like, we got, we, we, this line is moving. I'm not getting left behind, bro. So I start pushing him. He's like, oh, thanks, thanks. And I'm like, I gotta do something relational. And I have this passage in my mind. I know what I'm preaching on tomorrow. I'm like, hey, I love your sweater, man. That's a really dope sweater. It's really cool. And he goes, thanks. My wife gave it to me. She's dead. Oh, man, I'm sad to hear that. How long were you married? 62 years. I got to love this guy. Move toward him. We get into the, state, the place of the eagles. I turn around and pull him down the stairs. Like, it was kind of fun. Like, I was like, I'm gonna, we're going to both die. Like, it's actually kind of, I'm not really great at pushing wheelchairs down ramps. So we're like going down, we're rocking and rolling, and he's like kind of laughing. We're joking around with each other. And it was a place where he was vulnerable, right? He didn't want to ask for help, and I'm helping him. We get to the bottom, and he was just like, hey, thanks. Do you need me to come get you at the end of this? No, I should be good. I have no idea how you're going to be good, man. Like, there's a rant. Okay. I had every excuse to not want to move toward that guy. But I did. And something in me changed because we're loved into loving. And when we love others into loving, we understand the gospel. 1 Corinthians 13 is the gospel with skin on it for a church of broken people. We all leak and thank God Thank God the ethic that binds us together is not being right. It's not having spiritual highs. It's love. It's moving toward each other. Don't quit. We need you. Don't quit. Jesus, Jesus, we need you. It's so easy to fade away into the background. It's so easy to justify why we're right to leave a church. But God, I pray, I pray you'd protect us. I pray you'd protect us from our voice when it tells us that we'd be better off alone. Father, help us to move toward each other, to stay relationally engaged when it gets hard. Jesus' name, amen.
1: This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.